Welcome back to City in Focus. I'm Gloria Olivares. On this month's show, we'll visit McLaren Park to enjoy the quiet and also to make some noise. We'll have a hands-on tour of a San Francisco wastewater treatment facility to learn all about sludge. And we'll hear how the digital divide is turning into digital inclusion. Our first story is about an issue that affects thousands of San Francisco residents every year. It's the public health care system in the city. There's more to it than just general hospital. A network of neighborhood-based clinics create individual responses to unique community needs. The clinics provide health care to working families who don't have health insurance as one of their benefits. Neighborhood clinics are a critical link, connecting residents to health care access. When a, a resident of San Francisco is looking for health care, you look in your neighborhood first. What is closest to you? If you come to a neighborhood health center or a clinic, you then have access to a system of care in the community health network. We are a system of care that was probably based on a family practice model, but it was really clear that there are special populations with special needs. The Cole Street Clinic is a youth clinic in the heart of the Haight-Ashbury, and they target an outreach to the youth in that neighborhood. Tom O'Dell Clinic takes care of uh, many of the central city residents and they have a great expertise in providing services for many of the homeless. The Trail Hill and Southeast Health Centers are health centers in those particular communities uh, that are family health centers. So they provide health care to patients across the age span. Many of our clients are working poor. They have, uh, they pay their taxes. They uh, may run into a rough patch now and then, and what we're able to provide is uh, a bridge towards getting them back on their feet. The center averages about 14,000 visits a year in the health clinic alone. One of the uh, areas that we specialize in is family medicine, but the additional focus of that is to provide care to women and children. Women find out they're pregnant. We talk to them about the importance of getting good prenatal care, which takes uh, many visits. We initially will see them for their full physical to determine their baseline health and then enroll them in prenatal care, which occurs over the next nine months. Group prenatal care is designed to give women the opportunity to bond during their pregnancy with other women that have similar due dates. Our doctors here are family doctors. They're able to help these women deliver their babies at the hospital, at General Hospital. We also have the WIC program, which is a program that provides food vouchers for our families. After they have their children, they're up to age five, are able to receive food vouchers to get milk and cereal for their children. It's so unique thing about the city, not only our clinic, but the city, and uh, we have all our children in San Francisco should have insurance now because if they're low income enough, they might get Medi-Cal. Um, if they actually have a little more access, a little more income, they can get happy family. We do have family who comes outside of the, our neighborhood by visiting Valley to come to our clinic. Uh, one thing I learned is from our clients, no matter how old they are, no matter how little English they know, they will know how to get to Chinatown. 
meaning that they would know how to get to our clinic. And we are in the Chinatown since 1928. 85% of our staff are bilingual, and because we are serving about 80% of non-lingual Chinese patients. One of the programs that we have in, uh, in this clinic is we provide as CPL and childcare courses for those childcare family uh, giver to get licensed so that they can be safe uh, child care provider to take care of our clients' kids so our clients can go out and work. We found more and more women who were of childbearing age come down with cancer and they had kids. And the kids were having a horrible time and parents were having a horrible time. What, how, do, how do parents tell their kids that they may not be here? What we do is provide a place and the materials and support and then they figure out their own truth what it means to them. I see the behavior change in front of my eyes. You know, maybe they've never been able to go out of boundaries at all and their lives have been just so rigid. Just sort of finding that and expressing that makes tremendous changes. And because we did what we did, it is now sort of a nationwide model. I think you would be surprised at who comes to these clinics. Many of them, I think, would be your neighbors if you knew that. Oftentimes we just don't discuss that. We treat husband and wife and they bring in their kids or we treat the grandparents and then the next generation. So people come in who need treatment for their heart disease or for their diabetes or their high blood pressure or their high cholesterol or their uh, hepatitis B. We actually provide uh, group medical visits and group education classes and meeting people who have similar chronic illnesses as you do really helps you understand that you're not alone in dealing with this and it validates the experiences that you have and so you learn from each other. I think it's very important to try to be in tune with the needs of the community and a lot of our patients have a lot of our patients are actually immigrants who have a lot of competing priorities, family issues, childcare issues, maybe not being able to find work or finding work and not being insured, and healthcare sometimes isn't the top priority for them. And so we need to understand that so that we can help them um, take care of themselves physically and emotionally to deal with all these other things that they also have to be working through with people living longer and living with more chronic conditions, I think we're going to see more patients coming through. Starting next year, every day 10,000 people will hit the age of 60 until, the, until 2020. The needs of the patients that we see at Curry Senior Center often have to uh, do with the consequences of, of long-standing substance abuse and mental illness linked to their chronic diseases, heart failure, hypertension, diabetes, cancer, um, stroke, those kinds of chronic illnesses. When you get them in your 30s and 40s and you have them into your aging process, your age, you are not going to have a comfortable old age. What we are also seeing in terms of epidemics is an increase in Alzheimer's and it is going to increase as the population increases. There are quite a few seniors who have mental health and substance abuse problems. But there are also the majority of seniors who were hardworking, who had minimum wage jobs their whole lives, whose employers may not have paid into Social Security, 
Think about living on $889 a month in the city of San Francisco, needing to buy medications, one meal a day, hopefully, uh, and health care. If we could provide health care early on, we might prevent costlier care and people would be less likely to end up in the emergency room with a, a drastic um, outcome. If we could actually provide prevention and health care to people that had no other way of getting health care, those without insurance, um, it might be more cost effective for the city. To learn more about health care access and the Community Health Network, go to sfdph.org slash chn. You can find the neighborhood clinic closest to you. If you have a city with 800,000 people, and each person uses a toilet eight times a day, and each time uses five gallons of water, you have a lot of stuff to move around. We sent Charles Kremnack to the Southeast Wastewater Treatment Facility for a very special hands-on lesson. Charles brought back the sights and the sounds, and thankfully, not the smells. So Charles, uh, we have a great wastewater system here in San Francisco. Uh, we do about 80 million gallons of wastewater here in San Francisco, which means we basically fill up 120 Olympic-sized swimming pools each and every day wow. here in the city. We protect health, public health and safety, and the environment because we're discharging into the bay and into the ocean. This is essentially the first treatment step here at our wastewater treatment facility. What we do is we slow down the water so that things either settle to the bottom or float to the top. You can see we have a nice collection of things floating, floating around there, things mm -hmm. from bubble gum wrappers, mm. toilet paper. I mean, whatever you flush down the toilet, whatever you dump on the street and gets into our, our storm drains, that's what ends up here at our treatment plant. That's mm -hmm. what we have to clean. See these plastic chains right here? Mm -hmm. They uh, are the drive belts for these flights. When these tanks are full, there's a layer of scum on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And this basically pushes it through to keep scum build up from the bottom of the tanks. On this end, in the liquid end, basically we're just trying to produce a good water product that doesn't negatively impact the receiving water so that we have recreation and, and uh, no bad impact mm -hmm. on fish and aquatic life. Mm -hmm. Solids is, is what's happening. So by sludge, what exactly do you mean? So is, that, is that the actual technical term or are you... It's a technical term and it's used in a lot of different ways, but this is a organic sewage sludge. And, and uh, basically what it is is, uh, oh, maybe things that come out of your garbage disposal, things that, uh, that are fecal in nature. It's sludge that's removed from the water after the primary treatment. And then we blend those two together and send them over to digestion. This building's built to replace tanks that were built here mm -hmm. that were so odoriferous that uh, they'd curl your hair. So we've built this as a uh, interim process. So is it, there's a coagulant that's being introduced somewhere in the middle of this? And this coagulant called polymer pulls the solids together and lets the water become free to drain through. 
that gives us more detention time in the digestion process, more time to extract energy, more time to reduce the amount of solids. And these are the biggest ones in the world, like we always like to do in San Francisco. They're four meter, there's none like it in the world. Really? Wow. Yeah. Three meters usually, we got the biggest, if not the best. So here we are. Look at that baby hum. River of sludge. One of the things is we use bacteria that's common in our own guts to uh, create this reduction. It's like an extra digestion. And one of the re one of the things we have to do to facilitate that is heat that sludge up and keep it at the temperature our body likes, 98.6 degrees. So what we have here is a heat exchanger for digester number six. These clog up with debris, and we're coming into next wet weather season. So we always come through here, clean them out, make sure that we get maximum heat exchange during uh, the colder, wet weather sludge season. Okay. Uh, okay. Five back here. Rubber gloves. Oh, right here. Rubber gloves. You got two, two levels. Awesome. Okay. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you. Right. Got it. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> This is the full-on hazmat. I'm going to have to stir the tail. <laughs> There's still residual liquid mm -hmm. in here, so that's why we're taking our time to let it drain. Okay. We don't want to get sludged on unnecessarily. No, no. I want you to take that bolt off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Take your time. Stand on the side of it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right. Should I let it release for a while? or going to let it release, yeah. Okay. Is that the technical term? Yeah. To let it bleed. This is the most important bolt on this whole thing. Mm -hmm. This is the locking bolt. Mm -hmm. So it locks this thing right in place. So now, this is called the slide hammer. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is that we get rag build up, build up mm -hmm. right in here. So the hot water recirculates in here. Mm -hmm. The sludge recirculates in here. The sludge has sometimes have rags in it. Mm -hmm. All we want to do is go around and clean the rags. Let me show you how. Okay, okay. So take the slide hammer, mm -hmm. go all the way to the back, mm -hmm. and you go around and you fill up the rags. Right? Gotcha. So in, during the real rainy season, how does that change the way dealing with this job? Is it is it well, a lot we, more stuff in there? Does it get really? What we do, Charles, is we do this quarterly. Mm. Like every four months, we go around and clean all the heat exchangers so that we don't have a uh, a large buildup. Mm. So, can we go around? Yeah. You're not getting so you're not like flying out, yeah. So now it's all about cleanup. Uh huh. And then where does this stuff get deposited? 
A little bit of dumpling is a three box. That's going to go with Sunset Stadium. Oh, okay. If you think back of it, the Romans came up with a system of plumbing that allowed us to use water to transport waste away from a hub of civilization, which enabled cities to grow. You have a large bowl, a scroll, and a drive motor and another motor with a planetary gearbox that sets a differential pressure inside there. It's a large mass up there spinning, separating the solids from the liquid. Well, we have to do prevent them making them once a month at least. Go in there and grease them, change the oil, check the vibration levels. The operators can tell just by the hum of that machine. There's a harmonic noise emitted and it's out of balance and the machine needs to be cleaned, they'll start vibrating, and we have uh, uh, vibration analysis machines that will come over here and check the levels. So it's kind of an ongoing thing that you have to stay on top of on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Handled properly, you take organic residuals, as we call them, that are leftovers of our society, and turn them back into some energy. Mm -hmm. And we have another ability to take that sludge and land apply it and get a nutrient value for crops there. We actually are running a kind of a composting energy recovery system. Well, this is a dirty job. We try to do it safely. Mm -hmm. And we try to do it without imposing too much on the public. People want to flush their toilets and have things go away and not be bothersome to them again. And, uh, we do a lot to try to accomplish that. I'd like to invite you to come back anytime you want. Mm -hmm. Once you got this in your blood, you're not, you're not going to be able to stay away. The raging waters are fun, mm -hmm. and when we do digester cleaning, I really hope you can come back. That's quite a yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting. So uh, I really appreciate you coming by, oh, and it's it was pleasure. really a pleasure to meet you. If you want to take the tour for yourself. Without the yellow suit, you can schedule a visit by going to sfwater.org and clicking on Education and Tours. It used to be said that the difference between getting a good job and an average one was a college degree. The difference now might be whether or not you have a computer in your home. Without access to the Internet, you only see half the apartment listings and you might pay too much for a new appliance. The gap between the haves and the have-nots is called the digital divide, and the problem in San Francisco is one of the most complex in the nation. There are so many ways that the Internet provides real access to real people and resources, and that's what we're trying to accomplish. I was interested in technology like video production. It's interesting, you get to create your own work and it reflects what you what you feel about certain things, so it just gives perspective on certain issues. We work really hard to develop very in-depth content, but if they don't have a venue, if they do not have a way to show it, then this work is only staying here inside, and nobody knows the brilliance and the and the amazing work that the students are doing. 
the term has changed over time from a very basic who has a computer and who doesn't have a computer to now who has access to the internet, especially high speed internet, as well as the skills and the knowledge to, to use um, those tools um, effectively. The city is charged with coming up with a digital inclusion program. The Department of Telecommunications and uh, Information put together this 15-member San Francisco Tech Connect Task Force. We want the digital inclusion program to make sure that we address the needs of underserved, vulnerable communities, not communities that are already, already very tech-savvy. We are here to provide the A, B, and Cs to the seniors. So A stands for access, B stands for basic skills, and C stands for content. And unless we have all three, the monolingual Chinese seniors are never going to be able to use the computer or the internet. A lot of the barrier is, is knowledge. People don't know that these computers are available to them, plus they don't know what is useful. There are so many businesses in the Bay Area that are constantly retiring their computer equipment that's perfectly good for home use. Computers and internet access are helping everybody in the community and people who don't have it can come to us to help with that. One of the biggest problems that we see isn't whether people can get computers through programs like ours but whether they understand why they need a computer and really the biggest issue we're facing today is helping people understand the value of having a computer. Well, immediately they would say, can I afford a computer? Uh, I don't speak any English, how do I use it? And then they will start to learn how to do email, how to uh, go back to a Chinese newspaper to read all the Chinese newspaper. A lot of the barrier still is around lack of knowledge or confusion or intimidation and not having people in their peer network who use computers in their lives. The important thing I learned from Caminos was to improve myself personally. When I first came to Caminos, I didn't know anything about computers. The second thing is I've, I've become, I've made some great achievements as an individual in my family and in, in things of the world. It's a real issue of self-empowerment where new immigrant families are able to communicate with their families at home, able to receive news and information in their own home language, really become more and more connected um, with, with the world as well as uh, connected even inside their local communities. If we value the diversity of our city and we value our diverse neighborhoods in the city, we need to ensure that they remain economically viable and um, equipping them, equipping uh, residents in those areas with jobs that will enable them to stay in San Francisco is critical for that. The important thing that I see here at Caminos is that it helps the low-income community. It helps the women who wouldn't have this opportunity otherwise. The workers with more education in San Francisco are more likely to be working in that knowledge sector um, where they're going to need that familiarity with the Internet. They're going to find value in it. They're going to use it and be productive with it every day. And the half of the city's population that's in the other, uh, other boat is disconnected from all that potential prosperity. We really need to promote content and, and provide applications that are really relevant to people's lives here. And so a lot of the inspiration, especially amongst the immigrant community, we see is communications with um, people from their home country, but we, we as much want to use the internet as a tool for people to connect you know, within the local San Francisco community.
I think this is our job as public educators to kind of give them this access and give them this opportunity to see that their efforts is being appreciated beyond their immediate reach. We have to blend this idea of community network with computer equipment, with training, and with support. If we can pull all that together, then we've got it. It's as much about social and economic justice. In fact, it's more about social and economic justice than just technology. You can learn more about digital inclusion and find out how to participate by visiting sfgov.org slash techconnect. One of San Francisco's biggest parks is also one of its most mysterious. McLaren Park remains unfamiliar to many residents who live above this lot. But it's a great trip to discover the wonders of nature, walking in the tall trees, and going where the wind goes. Or maybe even catching a ripple in still water. I'm the president of Friends of McLaren Park. It is uh, one of the oldest uh, neighborhood parks community groups in San Francisco. I give a lot of tours through the park. During those tours, a lot of the folks in the group will think of the park as very scary. It is a lot of hills, there's a lot of dense groves. Once you get towards the center of the park, you really lose your orientation. You're very much in a remote area. There are a lot of trees that shield your view from the urban setting. You would simply see different groves that gives you a sense of freedom, of being outdoors, not being burdened by the worries of city life. John McLaren had said that Golden Gate Park was too far away. He proposed that we have a park at the south end of the city. The campaign slogan was, people need this open space. One of the things that had to happen is there were a lot of people who did a homestead here, about 25 different families. Their property had to be bought up. So it took from 1928 to 1957 to buy up all the parcels of land that ended up just 317 acres. The park, as a general rule, is heavily used in the mornings and the evenings. One of the favorite places is up by the upper reservoir because the dogs get to go swim. It's extremely popular. Many fights in the city, as you know, about the dogs in parks. We have 317 acres, and God knows there's plenty of room for both of us, Ann and his best friend. Early in the morning, people, before they go to work, will walk their dogs or go on a jog themselves with their dog. Joggers love the park. There's seven miles of hiking trails. That's just the paved trails, and there's many more that are off-trail paths that, that hikers can take. All the recreational areas are heavily used on weekends. We have the group picnic area, which accommodates 200 people. Tennis courts are full. It also has three playground areas. The amphitheater was built in 1972. It was the home of the first blues festival in San Francisco. Given the fact that Jerry Garcia used to play in this park, he was from the neighborhood. Everybody knows his reputation. We thought what a great thing it would be to have an amphitheater named after Jerry Garcia. There's a name that has panache. It is a wonderful introduction for people from all over the Bay Area to the amphitheater. The 
calls that come in, you know, we'd like to do a concert at the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater. And we do everything we can to accommodate them and help them because it gets people into the park. People like a lot of color, and that's what they call the park. Other people don't. You have to try to reconcile all those different points of view. And what should a park look like and what should it have? Should it be manicured and should it be nice little cobblestones around all of the paths and things like that? The biggest objective, of course, is getting people into the park and appreciate open space. Whatever that's going to take to make them happy and get them there, that's the main goal. Now, if it takes a, a planter with flowers and stuff like that, fine. You know, so what? People need to get away from that urban rush and noise, and this is a perfect place to do it. Feedback is always amazement. They don't believe that it's in San Francisco. We have visitors who will say, I never knew this was here, and I'm a native San Franciscan. They wonder how long it's been here. When I tell them next year we're going to celebrate the 80th anniversary of the park, they're astounded. They absolutely love it. You can learn more about Jerry Day at jerryday.org. And you can see more pictures from the homesteading era by visiting sfgov.org slash recpark. Next month, we'll visit a city park that played an important role during the settlement of San Francisco. City in Focus will also look at the launch of a major telecommunications project. If you have a story you'd like to see on City in Focus, or you want to comment on a story you saw today, send an email to sfgtv at sfgov.org. Thanks for watching City in Focus. See you next month on SFGTV. Thank <laughs> you.